Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chandler Evan. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Cannon. And today we're going to be talking about Resident, Resident Evil 4, 4, which is a game that came out in 2005 on the Nintendo GameCube, in 2005 on the PlayStation 2, 2007 on uh, Microsoft Windows, 2007 on the Wii, 2008 on the Zebo. And 2009 on iOS, September 8, 2011 on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and 2013 on Android, and lastly, just in August of this year on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. What's the total number there? A million. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 60, 20. <laughs> One million and 60, 20. Yeah. These, there are a lot of these games and uh there's a lot of this well game. of this game <laughs> and i believe at this point the only version that i haven't played is the wii version you've not played the zebo version or the zebo version <laughs> and i have not played the xbox 360 or ps3 versions of the pc hd remake okay because whatever so this game's been out for a long time and capcom sort of understands that it's really popular um, a lot of people, obviously myself included, hold it up as sort of the best Resident Evil game that is out there. And it's like a weird example of, like, people always complain in the industry how, like, we're going to lose access to these older titles going forward and that, like, the history of, like, the back catalog of the medium is going to be lost. It seems like <laughs> yeah. Resident Evil 4 is the one example of a game that's, like, Good enough to warrant being protected, being super overprotected yeah. in every generation. Capcom is making damn sure <laughs> that Resident Evil 4 will forever exist on like whatever the current platform is. For at, le- at least as long as all the things that it influenced continues to exist. Yeah, well, it's weird talking about the influences of Resident Evil 4 because... Actually, I don't know if this is what we want to start with, <laughs> but... I, I guess, like, to start short, and we'll see if maybe we get into more depth on this later. Yeah. But Resident Evil 4 is, a, is kind of a... It, it it was influenced by other things more so than I think that it influenced anything itself. But the things that it did influence were other horror games going further. And so I had to, in... Uh, I don't know, whenever I picked the game back up after, like, a long hiatus, so, like probably in 2010 or so, I had to come to grips with the fact that my favorite game of all time probably ruined my favorite genre of games. Because survival horror as we knew it in the 90s completely halted when this game came out. And so many like horror games just turned into these action games with this dark imagery which is it's weird because i feel like it comes from a place where people wanted to emulate the success of resident evil 4 but didn't really understand what the game did that made it good yeah so you end up with a game like dead space that takes itself very seriously but isn't really scary outside of like ooh, that guy jumped up like People copied a whole lot of like the, the base mechanical interactions that RE4 introduced. The quick time events, the third person camera, the, hor- like you said, horror imagery contrasted with a super empowered player. Things like that, but they really did not sort of 
grapple with the final details of RE4 too, um, a bunch of things that I'm sure I'll talk more about later, like how empowered, especially in the early game, enemies are relative to you. Yeah. Well, I want to discuss this a little bit deeper when we get... Um, I, I have... I want to talk to you guys about your opinions on how the combat in this game actually plays, Yeah. but... Um, I disagree with the idea that your character is in, is like empowered, in as much as other games of this type. Other games of this type at the time or later. I would argue both, but it's obviously more prominent later. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> it's something that we could that we can get into, but I, I agree. Yeah, a lot of games picked up on a lot of the baser elements of this game and slammed them together to try and make something that would be as good and obviously in my opinion did not succeed <laughs> but uh dude if we're to talking varying levels of success if we're talking about the shooting i definitely have to get your take on this uh on the shooting specifically or just on the game in general you want, you want me let's, to give an opening statement let's get let's give <laughs> your preference i'd prefer that statement at least include elements in the shooting though cuz this is sort of i know the nugget of like everything that you hated in games going forward. This is the is shining... I, I mean, I was under the impression that the kind of lasting influence that this had is what created constant quick-time events, lots of people with guns, lots of, like, super intense, cool guy shooting. I, I guess. I feel like whatever started... the Whatever popularized, like, the cover shooter would be, like, the game that is the seed of all of my hatred. <laughs> <laughs> Which has got to be Gears of War, right? Which straight up took the third-person camera from this game. Well, I mean, third-person isn't exactly See, like... I often point to Halo work. as the game that like started the trends in games that I don't like today. Yeah. Okay. I, I feel like you could point to... If anything, like generated Andy's hatred of games <laughs> at large <laughs> for like a period of time it was probably the Xbox yes. like when, when America said we're going to make a game console and the thing that they produced was just was aimed so squarely at the 18 to 24 male audience so squarely at shooter fans and just like threw out all of the all of the things that like made games sort of joyous and fun before, they said no. This is this is the the Christopher Nolan's Batman of game consoles, where everything is gritty <laughs> and everyone must die. They had Fable. They did have Fable. <laughs> <laughs> also, Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, yeah, it's good. No. Anyway, but anyway, my mistake yes. then. So then, what's your actual take on this game as a whole and/or its shooting? I liked this game. Um, but I think it's one of those things where I'm playing it so past, like, when it came out. It's a Bioshock thing. Yeah, like, I thought it was good, but, like, I can't understand why people, like, love this game so much. Because, like, cause I was, like, looking up some reviews and stuff, like I normally do, and, like, literally every single one was, like, Resident Evil 4 is one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> it's, like, a total fucking masterpiece. Right. And, like, everyone refers to it that way. And I'm, like, oh, I was good. But, like, I don't know. It's like you, And I can see its influence in a lot of other games, but, like, that doesn't hold as much weight for me playing mm. it now. Yeah. Uh, uh, reflecting on it, which I've done, like, several times over the past... 11 years since its release. Um, I, it's kind of... 
it has a lot of elements in it that I would be a lot less forgiving of now. Um, and it comes down to, I love this game a lot because of, like, the experience of playing it for the first time. Like, how it shaped how I like things now. Mm-hmm. And its incorporation of things that I just enjoy generally. It's, it's one of those things, like, if somebody asked me what my favorite movie is, I will tell them Men in Black. Is my favorite movie Men in Black? It's probably Taxi Driver, actually. <laughs> but Men in Black says way more about me than Taxi Driver does. Yeah. And in the in the example of games, is my favorite game actually Metal Gear Solid 2? Probably. But I have such an affinity for this game, and this game says so much more about my personality that Resident Evil 4 is like my spirit game. Okay. That mirrors me in the in like the the best. Respect that. Yeah. So, yeah, things like the quick time events, things like, why do doors close so goddamn fast for no reason? <laughs> like, th- th- which creates, like, a huge issue in the combat when you, like, open a door and then take a step behind and it's just like, oh, it's closed. And, like, can't shoot the game to wait for him to come through. Like, weird things that, like, interrupt your, like, general quality of life while playing the game. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things are things that I would be kind of irritated by now. Also a very, like, Resident Evil series-wide issue of every game has, like, a point A to point B where you just have to go get stuff to continue moving down the path that has no real plot significance. Like, collect the pieces of the Chimera and put them into the door. Is like a two-hour side quest just to go through a door. Like, that's pretty dumb. And it's hard to not, like, recognize how weird that is. It is weird, but I like that kind of stuff. Why? Especially, like, I don't know if it's, like, a nostalgia thing. Yeah. Where it's, like, this game is clearly a game that was made then. And it having that stuff, like, is just enjoyable to me. Because that's the way games were back then. But, like... It's it's so like video gamey, I guess. Like, I I don't know how to explain it. I just I, I like that kind of stuff. I'll take a stab at it. I thought going through this game again because the first time I did it, I did it sort of out of a sense of obligation. I played the Wii version for the first time. This time I played the GameCube version for the cast. I think this game is like the capstone of like all video game design sensibilities, so, like since the beginning of the PS One to the release of this game. And then after that, people started to... It wasn't, of course, immediate. I'm not talking... It's like a hard line in the sand here or anything. But I think this is the best game that was ever produced by people who were really interested (laughs) in making, like, video game-ass video games. And then after that, we sort of had a a bunch of different movements that caused people to get either more experimental or more broad in the kind of subjects they wanted to address. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this is a game that, like, is, you know... When it released in 2005... Released to a lot of perfect scores, released to a lot of very high praise reviews, and I feel like people nowadays would find it a lot more shallow, as I do. Like I find it more shallow than I did in two thousand five. Yeah, but it's because of how how young the medium is, and in two thousand five, this sort of was the pinnacle of a horror game, and it marked such a turn for the for the series for Resident Evil as well as it marked a turn for horror games generally. And uh, I think people picked up on that, and it reflects itself in its scores. It's really, going back on it too, especially comparing it to some of the earlier Resident Evils before it, 
it's less of a dramatic shift than I was expecting. Because the most important things that got added that weren't like technical or cosmetic are contextual actions in, in various areas, like your ability to press A to do a cool thing so that they could free up and make player movement a whole lot more diverse than just the tank controls, and the ability to have specific aiming control through a third person over the shoulder camera with a laser sight so that everything always stayed in frame and like looked cool but you could still control what you were looking at. It's so interesting with that they went with the laser sight. Like I understand why like from a design standpoint yeah. and I can kind of get into that cuz I did want to go from this into sort of how the combat works generally. Yeah. You just got to love like the rocket launcher that has like a laser pointer on it like <laughs> Who's using this, like, realistically? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the, the laser sight plays into uh, how the combat works, because it, it literally is just like, you will shoot exactly what this thing is pointing at. Mm -hmm. um, which takes a lot of the, the stress in aiming comes to actually deciding what to hit and where to hit them because you know that you can hit whatever you're aiming at unless they're, like, really far away. But if they're really far away, they're not a threat to you. It was a way for them to include a reticule while still contextualizing it within the scene mm -hmm. and so that it, it didn't look like it was just a super video gamey out of place HUD like sequence. Like one of those, like, Cabela's big game hunter games. <laughs> I'm really happy to say I have no idea what you're talking about because I've never played a Cabela's big game they're hunter like game. at restaurants and stuff. Like I also they have like those little arcade things with the guns, oh, the man. plastic guns. Cabela's made that? Yeah, I totally Some have Cabela's Dangerous Hunts on I, the game. I think they have one at Quaker Steak, like right in the lobby or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. Either way, the kind of this game, I think, it comes down to what I... I don't know if this is intended by the developers, but I think it's really cute. Uh, in that I, I think the combat wants to mirror, like, fight or flight. Because the way that enemies approach you is in groups, and they run up to, like, a radius. And then they slowly walk toward you. And they do their, like, jukes, where they'll, like, duck out of the way of your, your bullets. And they'll try and surround you. Like, right. they, they don't even just immediately go for the face if there's lots of them. Sometimes they'll try and, like, move into your blind spots, because... Uh, the camera is so pulled up when you're shooting that you have a surprisingly literal lateral vision. Yeah. You know, yeah, you get a, it, a narrow fob. Yeah, it's like they tried to translate the tension that the enemies brought in the other games, the previous games. But to compensate for how good you are at yeah. shooting them now. So, like, now, that, like, instead of, like, kind of the environment being your obstacle, now it's, like, your ability to aim at the enemies with the the free camera mm. and the C stick, yeah, or, or the C stick. <laughs> yes, is it the C stick in the uh, in the GameCube version? Yeah, it's the C. Wait, I don't. Remember. It's just been so. Yeah, long. it's only it's only got one analog stick, and then the C. And stick. then the C stick. Well, I was but you don't have to cause... move and and shoot at the same time. Right. I yeah. actually don't remember. Because yeah, in uh in but the like PC you, version, well, you don't like enter a shooting mode, where you now don't like if you moved the analog stick while you were aiming. Could, do you move? Mm -mm. Oh, nope. you're rooted yes, in place. Yes, you do. Okay, never they, mind. You yeah. totally do do that. They yeah. introduced <laughs> that in RE5. You can move while uh, shooting, okay. 
which was weird. I don't understand why, but because they introduced a shooter into RE5. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, uh, a co-op shooter. But I played most, well, not most recently because I literally just put the game down when you guys showed up. Uh, <laughs> but I was playing it a while ago uh, when I was doing my playthrough for the for the cast uh, with the Steam controller, which, as anyone who's used a Steam controller knows, has a shitty touchpad for the right stick instead of a right stick. And the way that the game functioned was I used the analog stick that I would use to move to aim. So, uh, like, it's so not necessary to assign it to another stick because it's not there. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up at all, though, is um, because basically whenever the, you see enemies, you kind of have to make a choice whether you want to stand your ground and just shoot them or run and try and get a better vantage point and, like, get far enough away that you have time to shoot at them. And that kind of a... That's sort of where all of the tension comes from in basic enemy fights. I think the game does it really well. I've basically gotten every bad thing I have to say about this game out of the way already. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know how it affected you guys and if it was something that was more than you were used to or... I feel like it was pretty effective and like what they were trying to do because like even all the way through the game like basic enemy encounters retain their tension because they walk at you at like a fixed speed so like it's always you deciding do i take that extra shot or do i run mm-hmm. and like that decision making in like every single encounter just keeps the tension there i think we haven't mentioned the really most important thing about these encounters though which is how much of a bullet sponge all the enemies are like, the reason why those encounters are tense and not just a shooting gallery like it is at the very, very end of the game is that the even, like, generic Joe Smo farmer guy can take, like, six bullets to the shoulder uh, <laughs> before he actually stays down for any meaningful period of time. Even mm-hmm. the animations sort of show that. Because you'll have... I, I, I said shoulder earlier because what I was thinking of was this, uh, what'll happen is you can shoot one in the shoulder and if you, like, half-stun him... He'll, like, move to the side and look down and then sort of, like, menacingly just, like, flip his head back up in, like, a scary face and look at you and then keep walking again. Yeah, Mm. all the enemies can take more than one headshot unless you get, like, a critical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is a random multiplier based on your gun's critical hit chance, which is, like, higher for rifles and pistols and lower for other weapons. Of course it is, and of course you know these things. It's really complicated. I I remember I was listening to somebody discuss this game uh, not too long ago, which is weird, because this game isn't really noteworthy anymore in as much as, like, why would you be talking about it? Right. But, uh, and they brought up, they were like, see, Resident Evil 4 doesn't have, like, stats on the guns. Like, they do. You just don't have to care about them. Right. But, like, I know that, like, the maximum rifle damage is 30, and that that is, like, enough to headshot kill pretty much any enemy in the game. And they're not just secret stats. Enemies. I mean, they're actually represented during the upgrade screen with, uh, with Mr. bars Archant. and numbers and all <laughs> yeah. kinds of stuff, yeah. And decimal points for some reason, but you're not given context because there's no other numbers and meter in the game. Yeah, you literally just have to compare with other weapons to have an idea as to like, how much you're doing. Right, it's a perfect example of people just throwing numbers in just so you can make yourself feel better for the sake of the progression system. like you, it's, They're just there, so you feel like you're getting stronger. Yeah, I, I know that I, I looked at them at one point, and pro- maybe even the moment that made me realize how much I liked this game was after I unlocked the uh, access to the Broken Butterfly. Um, 
my first time through the game, I remember looking at it and being like, that does so much damage. <laughs> because it does, because it's a magnum. But, like, it, so immediately bought it and, like, equipped it and then went to reload and was like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just realized how much of a curse it was to have to load individual bullets into the clip. Is uh but yeah, but I loved it because it was just like this is I understand the trade-off. It's really easy to see. Yeah. Uh and it like basically just like use this in for special occasions. But it just feels so good to just like blast a guy with that when you're just down and like I I gotta get through this. He's just like that dude is done. <laughs> I'm glad that the weapons scaled up through the game, too. It was really important that they had you start with a handgun to continue to accent how, like, otherworldly and creepy all the foes you faced at the beginning were. And then, but the game was willing to scale itself up just continuously farther and farther. And even until through multiple playthroughs, you get, like, laser hand rifles or whatever the fuck <laughs> that are yeah. the secret weapons. This is something that you were not aware of. Uh, it actually got introduced in the PlayStation 2 version. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in the original GameCube version. But if you, uh... I think that the the P, the PLR uh, is just for completing professional mode on the PS2 version or, or beyond, and it's just this like it's the BFG of this game. Okay. You just charge it, and then when you release, it kills all the enemies on the screen and it just liquefies the plugus. Yeah. So cool. It's pretty rad. But yeah, it's the the the, the PLR. Maybe it's PRL, actually. The Plagueis Removal Laser, I think is what it is. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the Hand Cannon, which is the hardest one to get because you have to five-star all of the levels on Mercenaries with every character. Um, I've done it twice ever and don't intend to ever do it again. Okay. Uh, the Chicago Typewriter, which is the Tommy Gun, and the Matilda, which is a three-shot, like... Pistol that's really good. The Chicago typewriter sounds like a sex position. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I gave her the old Chicago typewriter. Right? Mm. <laughs> On the infinite launcher, which is pretty self explanatory. But yeah, all of the weapons are very. Uh, all of those weapons are pretty much completely overpowered. Why not? But all the weapons in the game do a really good job of, like, Introducing variety. Yeah, my point in terms of discussing like the scaling of the weapons wasn't even necessarily just to accent how like crazy and ridiculous the like post end game secret weapons are. My point was that as you progress through the game, it's not a huge power spike when you get those. You like you're on a ramp. You you start with the handgun that barely does anything, and you move forward up into like the rapid shotgun and the grenade launcher and the million other things that you can get as the game slowly turns itself into an action game, very very slowly and deliberately. Yeah. But even then, like, they... Okay, I will give you the striker. The striker is ridiculous, and you can get it fairly early, and it is, like, a, a, a weapon that you can reliably use on regular mobs, because shotgun ammo isn't super rare. Mm -hmm. The mine thrower and any version of a magnum are, I think, appropriately... Uh, rationed. Like, you can't just, like, go through an area with the Killer 7 and not have issues with ammo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. wasn't bringing ammo into discussion yet. I was just saying that you are... 
you have the potential to be able to just blow people away. Not the the game still remains tense despite that. It's not like a lot of other shooters where you would just gain access to that gun and already have a way to consistently get ammo to it. The game uses uh, its inventory system in a lot of good ways to keep situations that would otherwise not be tense because of how the kind of equipment you have tense con- consistently. Curious, speaking of the inventory system, what you guys think about the inventory Tetris that's present in this game? Uh, I think since it's such a unique thing, I end up enjoying it. Uh, whether, I don't know whether or not I can say if I think it's good or not. I think it's another way to maybe like kind of add tension yeah. in a way like, oh, do I have enough room to fit this right. thing that I need? <laughs> but a lot of times ends up just kind of being like, I wonder if I have enough, I'd, like, or just like you go and pick up an herb and you're like, ah, damn it. Like, <laughs> yeah. all right, if I combine with that. And you know, yeah, it never ended up being that annoying for me. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I actually kind of loved it to death. I'm so glad, because that's one thing that people legitimately complain about with this game a lot, is they don't like the inventory Tetris, but I love it. Yeah. It's a way to sort of force you to calm down and do something that isn't so murdery all the time. Again, the game is pretty good about giving you quiet time, but it Mm -hmm. gets less good about that the further it goes on. Um, I guess, in some ways, how much inventory Tetris bothers you is going to depend on, like, the difficulty that you're sort of experiencing at the time. Like, if, you, if you're being doing super, super well at the game, you're going to get sort of overstuffed with items. Although I, I heard after I completed the game, just Googling stuff, that apparently the difficulty in the game self-modulates. Um, to an extent, yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. That oh, yeah, yeah. I, I heard about this as well. Yeah. It's such a smart idea um, that they, they just reduce enemy counts based on, like, arbitrary performance numbers in the data. It must have been really hard for them to tune that, but I'm really glad that it was included because it's important, again, to keep like inventory Tetris from getting annoying because doing well would eventually become a cost if you had to spend so much time trying to fiddle around with your junk. Yeah. <laughs> going to let that one slide. Uh, you didn't. <laughs> Not after that pause. You don't get to. Well, it, like, it, it took me totally off guard. I, I didn't let it slide. Yeah. I laughed immediately. <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, it's actually, the, like, the difficulty modulation is kind of weird because... It works kind of like Tetris. Uh, the better you're doing at Tetris, the harder it gets. And the worse you're doing at it, the easier it is. How do you define difficulty in terms of it, the pieces if you're doing, Tetris gives you? If you're doing well, it goes faster. Oh, oh, okay. I thought, I, I thought yeah. And if, if, you're, if you're doing badly it goes slower it probably gives you more of like the long single <laughs> line right. pieces well the the thing with resident evil in comparison to tetris in that as much as like they drop more enemies at you if you're like kind of blowing through areas is there so many random elements to the game because you have it's random if you're going to get a critical hit, and you can skew it in your favor, sort of, if you understand the underlying systems. But then also, Plagas are random. Um, it's not random which enemies will have which Plagas, but it will be random if they actually spawn. So you can go through an area, shoot three guys in the head, and end up with three Plagas come out of them. Or you can then die and then come back and like one of them will have a plagas and you'll be like, oh good, like thanks for that. <laughs> I remember because I 
and I mean, as far as I know, because I don't know what like the algorithms are, yeah. that could also be tied in to the scaling. <laughs> but I remember Andy having like really bad luck. Occasionally, he'll just like stroll into a room with one guy and like he'll shoot him in the head, and El Gigante just like crawls out of his head, <laughs> beats him to death. Not really, but like there yeah, was a situation where I died in a spot, and then I came back. And then, like, the first three enemies all had a thing burst out of their head. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I still think I like the decision, though. I mean, I'm glad oh, that yeah, there no, are... I don't dislike it. I just don't... I don't know if it works exactly the way it's intended because of those random elements. Yeah. It, it, it's just very necessary to have those elements if you're going through... If you're going for horror in a very controlled action game yeah. like this. I, th- I, uh, I think it's definitely a better... Deci- like, I think that's a better way to do like different difficulties than having it as like an option on, on the menu screen. Right. You do eventually because you unlock at least for an action game. Yeah. Because then the egos don't get. Involved. Yeah. 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 You, the, the game just adjusts to your ability. You don't have to like be like, oh, I guess I'll put on the training wheels because I saw. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Until you get to professional, and then it's right. uh, it basically. I think they just scale everything to it's hardest on professional and then increase damage all around because uh, what it tends to be on professional is that everything is just really aggressive so you'll like take a stroll through an area on normal and like one or two guys might lunge at you but in professional you can basically just assume that every one of those guys is going to try and do a flying leap to rip your head off <laughs> uh, yeah there's another thing that they can modulate well the way that they design the systems is in order for like fairness sake on the normal difficulties they always have the enemies sort of stop when they get within that radius so mm-hmm. they can be menacing and terrifying right. uh, and soak up your ammunition but I guess they could just structure the game if they wanted to uh, so that those guys are just like 28 days later zombies that just just sprint at you yeah that is never the case fortunately <laughs> because I think that the game breaks mechanically if you have an enemy that is unrelenting because having to stop aim and shoot, and with the emphasis on skill shots in this game where you really want to hit them in the head, mm-hmm. basically, all the time. Um, or, like, the knees, or... Yeah, with, with some exceptions, depending on, like, your current situation. Right. Um, it would be just ridiculous to try and have to... It would be... Even beyond being difficult, it would be tedious to have to, like, stop, fire a shot, turn around, run, stop, turn around, fire a shot. Right. Repeat, repeat, repeat until they die. And that just that's not fun or interesting. It's just dumb. So they pick the cinematic, cool, scary thing with right. lurching cultists who don't seem to care that their head gets blown off. Yeah. And that's actually... And I promise that I didn't just shoehorn this in to talk about how I just played The Order <laughs> for some reason. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was, uh, it was one thing that I thought about because I was playing this game in the context of we were going to record this podcast, and so I was already thinking about Resident Evil. <laughs> this game has, and it's not new to this game by any means, but I think that the way that they implement it is really good, um, contextual damage. So, obviously, what's existed in shooters since GoldenEye, shooting somebody in the head deals more damage than shooting them in the leg, and it like is a gradient across their body. <laughs> but they react differently to way, like to where you shoot them. So if you shoot somebody in the leg, they'll fall over. If they're moving, they'll fall. 
as opposed to like that crumple that they do if you shoot them when they're standing still. Mm -hmm. uh, you shoot them in the head and you have critical hit chance, shoulders, they'll react to it. You can make people drop weapons, you can shoot weapons out of the air, you can shoot grenades that people are holding. All of these things are like layered into the combat system to help you make a strategic choice. Yeah. And the thing that I was thinking about when I was playing The Order, which is a game as we just discovered came out in 2015, <laughs> 10 years after Resident Evil did, has like, and this is something that I see in lots of games, this is just the example that comes to mind, you can like, a guy will hold his hand out of cover to fire blindly just to provide cover, mm. and you can just shoot that guy in the hand four times, he doesn't drop his weapon, he doesn't flinch, he just keeps shooting, and then he'll die because you shot his hand four times. And it's like... It's almost like that game is garbage. It's almost like <laughs> that game is garbage. <laughs> but more importantly, it just seems to me that it's those details that Resident Evil gets so right that make it such a good game. Have there been other games that do that sort of like contextual shooting stuff? It's It's very prominent in RE4, but it seems like the kind of feature that would not be prominent in other games of the genre, so I can't really think of any examples off the top of my head. Yeah, it's... it's. I don't play a lot of the games that do, but basically any shooter that focuses on realism or is like a cover shooter is going to have these mechanics because it just... When it's a slow-paced shooter, it makes sense to have to, like, make a decision about where you're aiming. But what realistic, slow-paced shooters exist? Things like, uh... I don't want to bring up Gears of War because we talk about it all the time. Realistic. Right, yeah, really, you're <laughs> shooting aliens. Realism in, like, physics terms. Like, it's not like a wacky... Like, you're not doing rocket jumps. Oh, okay. In Gears okay. of War. Uh, I thought you meant, like, Battlefield 1. Right, right. Well, I mean, presumably... I'd probably not because it's a multiplayer game. Yeah. That also kind of puts a hamper on it because it would suck... If somebody shot you in the leg in Overwatch and you <laughs> fell down, and you're just like, oh no! <laughs> Every character is Anna. Okay, point. <laughs> uh, so, it, like, yeah, that's why it's so uncommon. It's because it has to be a slow paced shooter with a focus on realistic physics, and it has to be single player only. Yeah, that's pretty narrow as yeah. a band. Yeah. So that's why I haven't played a lot. But it is something that exists and that people do still make. So I guess the reason that that didn't get as part of a lot of other features sort of like moved and evolved into the rest of the industry is that there's just not a whole lot of opportunity for those sort of like slow paced shooters. Like not opportunity is the wrong word. There's not a lot of demand for them comparatively. The slow pace works in this game because it's designed to be a horror game. But the things that got sort of like stripped off of RE4 and applied to the rest of the industry ended up being applied to like straight action games and they generally do not want, like, slow-moving, methodical <laughs> men to, like, menacingly come toward you. They just want you to, to get through the next hallway being right. awesome and doing <laughs> tricks and stuff. Which Lan is definitively not awesome. In terms of his skill at shooting zombies. It, uh, I would agree that he's not awesome. I think they make him just, like, dweeby enough. Yeah. I feel like the context that RE5 gives this is really important. Because Chris Redfield is awesome. <laughs> Chris Redfield is the Arnold Schwarzenegger to, like, Leon Kennedy's, uh, I don't know, like, 
Al Pacino. (laughs) (laughs) He's like a he's a squirrely kind of guy who can take advantage of a situation when he has the upper hand. He's not going to solo one man take down a whole army. Leon as Kennedy in this game, like, do just consistently does roundhouse kicks with like an actual audible yeah. Right, he, he does that, but then what does that do on like large scale? It just like, knocks it. It knocks a dude down. down. Yeah. Like Chris Redfield punched a boulder into a river of lava so that he could shoot a giant monster with a rocket launcher. Okay. Like, okay. That is like yeah. the the Leon... Chuck Norris joke <laughs> yeah. that was the final boss of RA five. Yeah, Leon's definitely not like like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's he, he uses his brain more than, yeah. you know. He's very quippy, though, in the way that lots of action heroes but, are quippy. But they're all lame quips. Exactly. Yes. This is actually, this is a big thing for me yeah. in terms of this game, because this game is scary in its mechanics and can still startle you, even if you know what's going on. This game's plot is not frightening in any way. <laughs> and I, I don't think that it's trying to earnestly, but I'm not 100% sure, and I feel like there are definitely people who probably don't think about it because it's a Capcom game, where I think the game wants to, and the way that I appreciate the game as as the person intaking the game, is that it is it wants to be a campy B-horror movie. Yeah, that was the recurring question to me. I how think... self-aware is this? How much is it trying to be schlock, or how much is it coincidentally being schlock by virtue of its goals? I would agree that it's trying to be a B-horror movie. Like, if it's not... Then the writing is the worst writing. That's like, I I almost like can't even believe it. <laughs> like, they nailed B-horror movie so hard that if it was an accident... <laughs> yeah, it, was, it would be like The Troll 2 yeah, like, of, of weird Resident Evil I mean, titles. like, I feel we can look it up on the break, but we never remember to do those things when we say it in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... I feel like it was intentional. Mm-hmm. I, it's just so close. And it's mostly this, I think, me being a dick and not having any faith in Capcom at, at all True. in I, terms of writing. It, it seems in, too intentional. Well, to that's, me. yeah, because that's the one hitch in my, in like my plan is that Capcom's writing is always bad. Yeah. Like, well, some of like the moment to moment like dialogue and stuff might be way worse than they intended, but I think like the <laughs> overall story. Was it's, intended to be as goofy as it is. Yeah, it's just so hard to reconcile. Like, I think it's because there's so much gameplay in between that is self-serious. In as much as nobody's doing something just like to get a laugh. Like, yeah. you never run into a zombie that like trips on a banana peel and you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, that wacky zombie. It's it's like just this string, and then you get to uh, like a conversation or a cutscene where a guy says, writhe in my cage of torment, my friend. <laughs> and you're like, uh. Because <laughs> if it isn't written to be schlocky and funny, then why was it written by a person? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> the one that always stuck out to me was, uh, there's a one of the like, many times that Sadler and Leon have like stupid, pointless conversations okay. over the radio. I've only played this game once, so which one is Sadler? Sadler is the big The bad. final boss. Okay, the, I got yeah. you. The cult leader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sadler like, calls human beings insects as a cult leader is wont to do in all media ever. And Leon Human responds, lives don't compare to insect lives. 
right? Yep. Okay. Um, it's like because the one that I always like made fun of when I was a kid was when he's like, "Oh, can't remember his name." A senior moment, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um. So there's a like a did you know gaming on Zelda where they mentioned that like on record like the creators of Zelda were like. In Ocarina Time, we put Link in long underwear because we didn't want him to look too cool. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if that's like some like a, something that happened here where they were like, "We want Leon to be like a little lame." Right. <laughs> I mean, this is actually a weird commonality between uh, like what my two favorite games. You're playing as Leon, who is basically the lamest of the Stars Team members. Was he? In the first game, or is the Stars team not in the first game? Yeah, the Stars team is just the Raccoon City Police Department. Oh, uh, of course it the is. The second game has, I assume, is when Stars. This is like my dirty little secret about Resident Evil is that I never played Resident Evil's two or Nemesis, which like no one ever like two is regarded as one of the best in the series. Yeah, um, and I just never played it, and that's the one that Leon's in. It's also the one where Ada is introduced, and so I I don't even like know what's going on with Ada because I played this game based on a count that I estimated and then added on every time I've played it since somewhere in the ballpark of like seventeen times, and have no idea why Leon has such a fascination with Ada um, because I haven't played the second game. I don't think the game at least narratively, really cares if you know the specifics of their backstory. It's like one of those almost like Neora tropes where it's just sort of assumed that like they have history is enough to explain all of their interactions. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know how much of this we want to get into or if this is something we want to talk about after the break, um, but Capcom's artists are really good at, at like creating beautiful women. But their writers are not great at creating realistic female characters in any way. Yep. Yeah. It, to totally go back to what we were just talking about and ignore what you just said. <laughs> um, it, it, it feels like an Indiana Jones thing. Like, in each of the Indiana Jones movies, when one of like, the female characters shows up, it's like, this is someone Indy used to know, but they never explore like their backstory. They just interact based on, like, what their past relationship was supposed to be like. Yeah. Mm. It's always supposed to be big enough like that. Yeah. But I don't know if, if Ada's backstory... And, and I read, like, a plot summary of Resident Evil 2 to, like, figure out maybe if this is a thing. But she seemed to just... And this could be literally just Wikipedia's plot summary oversimplifying things, but knowing the story of Resident Evil 1, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> Ada was just kind of a dick to Leon... Over the course of the whole game, and then kind of, like, saved him once. Yeah, I was kind of skeptical that there would really be anything of value to mine from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's nothing of value to most of these characters. Yeah. And it plays into the, like, B-horror aspect of it, but it doesn't play into, like, how bad everything is. Like, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, like, how about we go back to my place for some overtime line <laughs> at the end of the game is dumb in, like, a myriad way. Oh, yeah. isn't that what it's, Ashley says? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the last That's line she has. so fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay, first of all. Like, 
what is my place in this context? The White, the White House? House? <laughs> <laughs> Let's I mean, go back to the Lincoln bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> for time. I mean, like, it's realistic that she would be, like, really attracted to him. Because he just saved her life, yeah. like, a thousand times. But, like, why did they sure. tack it on at the end like that? <laughs> because, and here's my perception of it, I don't buy that this game is 100% trying to portray Leon as lame. I don't think well, any no, character saying... in the in the game treats Leon as if he is lame. No, everyone treats Leon, with the exception of, of villains, obviously. Well, but vi- their villains are supposed to treat right. Leon like he's a petty it's, nothing. I'm not... Or maybe I said this earlier, and if I did, I didn't mean it <laughs> yeah. that, that way. But, like, I don't think Leon's supposed to be just a lame character. Right. He's, like, a cool character that they made sure to give like glaring flaws to so he's not like buff make action hero right he's supposed to read as lame to the player right and he's supposed to read as awesome to all of his fans in the game <laughs> right and that's why i think that in like that day and age in 2005 they, no one really interpreted it as weird that the like clearly made to be attractive blonde president's daughter stand-in rescue character it gets even worse on him. once you get well, yeah. to the uh it's not weird that it happens it's weird that they put it in at the end at the end it's for the, like the, no it's reason. the execution is so <laughs> right. weird and not only that it's a really bad call on her part because if she gets shot down which she did and it was awkward. They have like a whole jet ski ride <laughs> yeah. from Spain to America. <laughs> they have to cross the second largest ocean on the planet. Well, I assume that they're going to stop somewhere. No, no, they do not have no, enough no, gas no. Jet to get ski all, the way all the way from Spain. <laughs> you really underestimate the number of jet ski refueling stations positioned <laughs> randomly throughout the Atlantic Ocean. There's just gas stations agencies. in the ocean. <laughs> just floating gas stations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's B-Horror, they're all staffed by, like, creepy, decrepit old men. Yeah, like, why didn't they, like, slip in some lines, like, during the story of the game of her, like, hitting on him so that when she just pulls the trigger at the end it makes more sense yeah cause it's not even like there's not a slow ramp and it's not even like it's not she doesn't show any her... interest in him at all that's not entirely true well but it's really heavy handed when they do because like she's just she just gets really physical with him like yes. but that's all that happens and there's no dialogue during the game to really insinuate you're just supposed to assume that because she's a woman and Leon is like the action hero that she's going to fall for him but then in the end she's just like hey wanna fuck <laughs> and it's like um hmm how old are you <laughs> right right <laughs> Making sure that we touched on that the how old are you question is like really relevant here. It gets even stranger. Like, uh, okay, it goes it goes from weird to really weird to unbelievable (laughs) as you progressively unlock the other costume sets as well. Because in the main game, uh, Ashley dressed as basically how a president's daughter might dress asks a guy in like a Metal Gear Solid sneaking suit. To go fuck in the White House. In special one, Ashley dressed as a pop star. Oh god. Asks, oh, yeah. I see asks a police officer to go fuck in the White House. <laughs> and then uh 
someone in a full suit of armor <laughs> asks a 1920s gangster to go back in the White House. <laughs> Which is like the setup to the worst joke ever told. <laughs> by Capcom. Right, by Capcom. So, I don't even know. And even... The point I was making originally, which is now ten minutes past, <laughs> was just that both Leanne is supposed to read as lame and Raiden in Metal Gear Solid 2 is supposed to read as lame, but they also have that same, like, dynamic of being, like, super good, but reading poorly to the player. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's an intentional choice in both cases. Yeah. But that point is so fucking, like, belabored <laughs> by games at this point, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> It's just the relationships that all of these heroes share with other characters doesn't make sense because in two thousand in the early two thousands people just didn't know how to write this like relationship. Yeah. So on that note, do you want to go into our break? Yes. Sure. Alright. Welcome back from the break. I, I honestly don't remember if this is something that you brought up actually on the podcast or if it was when we were waiting on all of the noise to stop. Okay. But uh, you mentioned like going from the village in Spain to like the castle and then subsequently to the military base. Yeah. And one of the things this game does that is, I think, a little bit heavy-handed, but like I don't mind it because of the length of the game and everything that like is structured around it is that it separates its acts really blatantly like yes. <laughs> you you have act 1 in the village act 2 in the castle act 3 in the military base and it's there's it's really fucking cut and dry um i'm wondering one i guess how you feel about that like the development of the areas and how they are each distinct in their own way and if that was, like, effective in terms of how you... I still don't... Well, okay, before I go into this, I'll say, I thought the tone of Act 1 and the setting was perfect, and I think is rightfully the thing most people remember about the game when they go back to think of it. Like, the house defense sequences, I think, are some of the mechanical absolute high points of this game. I think it's at the very end of Act 1 after Del Lago, when you're with other Spanish man who's friendly. Luis. Luis, yeah. yeah. Luis, uh, Trying to, like, fight off all those guys. That was spectacular. Castle, I thought, worked well enough and began their sort of shift into true open schlockiness. Yeah. I'm still confused by the tiny midget Spaniard man, uh, as I'm sure you're meant to be. Salvador? Sa- Salazar? Salazar. Salazar, Salazar. yeah. So that... that isn't this like a bunch of tropes that I'm unaware of or something? I don't know why he's... Well, and not only that, but, like, Leon makes a crack where he's like, old man, he's like, you might be surprised to know I'm only 20 years old. <laughs> Which like, is the most confusing Yeah, age. it's like, one, I didn't think you were old. Two, you look 12. <laughs> like, I don't... I, I'm not surprised to hear that you're 20 because you're younger than I thought. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He has, like, an old man's face. He has a creepy, like, I'm infected with an illness face. Yeah. He's, like, he's like, he has a Benjamin Button face. Right, which is how, yeah. what adds to the huge ambiguity about what he is conceptually. Right. He, he could have yeah. told me any age other than, like, 96. He's, I like, a, believed he's like a Keebler elf. He's got that kind of thing going on. He was, like, possessed by one yes. of the demons from those possession movies. Yes. Mm. Like, possession. But... 
So that was, while that the detail of that dude was weird, I thought the tone was still fine because it was them, it was a more gradual shift to Slock than a lot of the other, like, it's again very cut and dry, yeah. but like, I can accept that there's like an old, rich, royal family in a castle that sort of presides over a bunch of peasants in Spain. In yeah, they're, they're, they're castellans. It's they're people who own the castle, and it's passed down generationally through them. Right. That's sloppy, but I accept it. Yeah. Act three, I'm still kind of confused about, because I don't quite understand what they were going for. Like, it's not literally a military base. Right. Are it they just in, has the trappings of a military base. And kind of also a medical facility. Mm. But it's manned by, like, pirates? What is, like, modern pirates? I actually don't know exactly what you're referring to there. Like, all the enemies that you face in the military base, they're just, like, guys in sort of vague Mad Maxi armor with, like, ball and chains. Like, yeah. what is going on with that? What? They have, uh... In, in the castle, there are people who use, like, flails. And that is... That is appropriate for, like, the weird out-of-time culty castle people. Right, that they're in. But in the third act, then they have, like, these stun batons, and some of them still have flails. (laughs) Like, they wanted to... I don't understand why they even sort of made it seem like you were in a military base. It would have been way more clean in my eyes if they just made it, like, the biomedical research facility and nothing else, like, so that they accented the moments, like, with those creepy twitching whatever is coming toward you. Yeah, stuff like that. If they just made that more overall of the theme, I thought by inter- by introducing all these like other weird Mad Maxi guys, it just created more questions and made the tone sort of muddy. But yeah. you can't say it's a military base if almost nobody has guns. Right. Ammo everywhere, yeah. no guns. That is a, an interesting point. Like they could have even used that to bring it back to like a more of a horror vibe and like made it feel like kind of Silent Hills esque. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that. Probably the reason that they didn't do that is because they didn't want to bring it back to a horror vibe. They wanted like horror vignettes by that point. True, but they were I, really I, leveraging. It might the have been really effective to have had like it, like ramp up to action, climax at Act Two, and then like go back to horror and build again for mm-hmm. the end of Act Three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and there's definitely an argument you can make there. Um, I'm just throwing sh- ideas out. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a bad one, though, because a bad idea is kind of what they did, which <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make sense tonally. Yeah. It was it was just very messy in what they were trying to convey, and I still don't quite get it. But there were lots of good moments yeah. in that. The regenerators and the, by the literally the same vein, uh, Iron Maidens, are basically the scariest enemy ever <laughs> Which but ones? at the very least in this game the the guys with the raspy breath who like slowly watch war you and have to shoot them with the uh the infrared sight oh 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 yes yeah those are pretty scary yeah they're terrifying in a lot of ways and uh it's just sort of like they fit so much better in that like in the areas that they're in mm-hmm. but it's punctuated by all of these like weird like truck chases yeah, mine shaft, and there's like a sandy cave at one point where yeah. you ride a mine cart. It's like Egypt is just buried in some places under Spain for some reason. Yeah, I they don't... could have gone with all sorts of other like I'm excavating ancient cultures themes, but they were just like, nah, Egypt. Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's even like you fight uh, Krauser in the in like a ruin, but like I don't know why it's a ruin at all. It's supposed to be like in. 
narrative the place that they're excavating the Plogus from, right? right. Is it like an ancient <laughs> civilization <laughs> in Spain? And I, well, possibly, but they never really go into it. Yeah. And they don't go into it in five either, even though Los Plogus is still like the the whole like deal in yeah. in that one. Um, it, but it's just the sample that Ada took. They were trying really hard to make all the areas like very distinct, even from a room by room basis, and even if you were visited them by mm-hmm. changing elements of like either time of day or things like that. But so I feel like maybe they ran into difficulties when they knew they wanted to do some of the actual like mining sections, how to make the mine rooms distinct. Yeah. But they don't need. They did, just didn't need to do that. I think. Yeah. They probably could have just gotten away they with. They were it. trying like, to too hard. Yeah. Like. At least half the people who played this game probably just jammed A through most of those documents anyway. Yeah. And don't even know. I, I did think, at the very least, that the not the excavated areas where you're in Egypt, but the mine shaft areas where you're with more of the sort of like Spanish guys who are excavating stuff underground, I thought that mm. sort of fit tonally. And I liked the sort of crazy double gigante fight. Oh, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. So like, I thought that made that section worth it, but I didn't really know why they extended it much farther after that. But, yeah. Now you know, that's sort of that was my take on sort of the tonal shift of the areas going forward. I would have rather in Act 3 just consistently been in the creepy medical facility, like sort of the end of Resident Evil 1. Right. Um, yeah. And even, like, they could have brought back enemies from Resident Evil 1 for that area. Chimeras would have been cool here. Uh Hunters would have been cool here. Liquors would have been cool here. But instead we end up with, like, the Mad Max guy and, like, dudes with chain guns and who wear berets. Yeah. And, like, the only, like, actually creepy regular enemy uh, in that section, which is the gas mask dude who has the stun baton. But that's, like, it. Yeah. Um, The tone of this game was something, like, because I've played this game, this was my first time playing it. I knew very little about it other than, like, what it looked like. Um, And it was probably the thing that surprised me the most about the game. Like, I did not expect it to become a B-horror movie. I didn't know that's what happened. Um, I expected it to kind of stay, like, the tone of Act 1 through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I got over that, I kind of had the same experience as J.J., where it just kind of was like all over the map at some in some points. Yeah, I, like the village is so on point in comparison to the other two sections of the game. Yeah, like, I still enjoy them, and I think that the castle is actually my favorite part of the game. It has my the most interesting enemies, in my opinion, and it has. Uh, I like the architecture. I like the design of the interior of the castle a lot. Right, it's back to. It's like them doing another take on sort of the atmosphere of the mansion. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, they clearly had experience with that kind of creepy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I liked the areas there probably the best as well, but like I hated what the whatever his name is. Salazar. 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 I thought that was like really like took the game down a notch for me like at that point like he was so goofy yeah and stupid that like if the game wasn't so good otherwise it might have been like game ruining levels of stupid yeah <laughs> they they pressed it pretty hard when they got to the like giant stone mech that yeah like the giant robot when like, we, but, like he was like outside of the building that that thing is in i was just like ooh yeah 
This was the game's about to get really weird for a minute, and you gotta like walk across his hands as they go up, and like, that was saved for Andy, fortunately, because we entered into the like this weird Twilight Zone world where nobody could keep their balance for more than three seconds, <laughs> and so every time he shot an enemy, they would just tumble off of something. Good. It was really funny. I mean, I get the feeling that after the very solid consistency of Act 1, they just sort of with the rest of the game uh, were splicing together really solid vignettes that had come over, that they'd come up with over like the, the troubled design of RE4. Because they went through like, a couple of different iterations of this, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't even, like, <laughs> uh, Devil May Cry was going to be a Resident Evil game that was going to it be Resident Evil yeah, 4? Yeah, I think it started development as, like, supposed to be... It was supposed to be Resident Evil 4 when it started. Right. And then it spun off into that. Into re- and then it also split and became Code Veronica as well, yeah. which was a more traditional Resident Evil game. And so, like, this game was started and stopped at least two or three times. I just... I get the feeling that they had spent a ton of time on sort of other tiny ideas that people in the development team had, and they polished those, like, really, really well... And they just kept having to try and find excuses to put them together. And what they ended up coming up with was a B-horror movie because it's because B-horror movies provide a ton of narrative freedom for you to just do whatever you want and it to be contextualized by, like, a chuckle from the audience. Right. Like, the It encounter, that was solid. Oh, yeah. I even liked... The what? It. Uh, the giant creature that on, like... In the freight containers. Yeah, that, that drop where it's, like, chasing you, has its huge tongue thing. Are you talking about the xenomorph? No, 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 after that. That's, but, yeah, because that's the right hand. That's in... Yeah. Uh, in but I would I would say that that's okay. an action, another example of this that's done well. It's like a, yeah. an I idea thought that they had. that was maybe the scariest enemy in the game for me. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Which one are we talking Xenomorph? about? Xenomorph. Okay, so the one that you freeze with the... Yes. Yeah. That one's really good. I actually give it to it. I think that might be... The my, one where you, like, drop the freight container? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's the other, like, scariest enemy. Yeah. yeah. That's why, like, my favorite boss in the game, just because of how tense it is. I and, like, you can't hurt it. totally really. agree. I actually think that the bosses in this game are kind of shit. Yep. And that was, like, the only one that was, like, really good. God, thinking back on it, kind of right. I don't have a lot of boss memories. Because, like, the game. giant fish in the lake yeah, was cool-looking, but a stupid fight. People really, really have good memories of Del Loco, at, at least. Yeah. I agree. <sighs> See, yeah. It, it, to me, it's just weird that that's the one that you brought up. And I mean, I'm speaking from 11 years of bias here. But I really like Del Lago. Really, the, the boss fights are so different than your moment-to-moment encounters that it's hard to sort of judge them as like a as part of the combat in the game. Mm-hmm. So if you look at them by themselves... I like all of them, except for Salazar, uh, and the like final boss, and everything else is pretty much like fine. The, a lot of them are puzzly, like sort of bosses, and the ones that aren't like that, uh, like Del Lago and uh, the fight in the burning building with the guy whose name I don't remember. That one was solid. Yeah, yeah all like even if they aren't mechanically taxing or like interesting they are very well set up and I look really cool. completely agree this yeah. setup to bosses in this game is great 
uh, not just from like tiny little narrative hints of ex their existence in advance, but almost every boss begins with some really good, necessary quiet time that I was always happy. Like, just again, to use it as the example because it's the standout for me, you get the radio message that like, it is coming after you in slocky fashion, and then you walk into a cave and the camera zooms out from you and you see the giant crazy cage structure and then this cave system, and then you return to player control. But there's nothing around, but you know that that huge weird maze thing doesn't exist for an arbitrary reason, yeah. so you get that classic <laughs> yeah, core attention of having to move forward. Definitely a highlight of the game. Mm. Like you see it coming up to the cliff edge and seeing the... Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's super like, super good. That that speaks so much to how successful the game is at putting itself out as a B horror movie. Because had this game had a focus like the first Resident Evil game, or like as we talked about last time, Resident Evil Seven on the far extreme of being as realistic as it can be, we wouldn't have this like standout moment with it. We would be like, why are there all of these, like, empty freight containers hanging over an abyss for no reason? Yeah. It's yeah. like, it has all of these contrivances to lead up to what is a really well-designed encounter, yeah. but you just have to take them with a grain of salt, and you're just so used to it. Right. It's like, a solid observation. Yep. It's another reason to like the video gaminess of this game. Yeah. And... They, they keep doing those sort of references and introductions. The way that you see a note about Del Lago and then see Del Lago, like, eat a fucking boat. Mm -hmm. uh, the, and then if you're really ambitious, you can see Del Lago eat you if you shoot the lake. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. But, yeah. I made Andy do it. I was like, shoot the lake. He was like, why would I shoot the lake? I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think the problem often in terms of like the actual mechanics of the boss encounters and not just yeah. their sort of like tone and the way that they make you feel is uh, that they sort of can't follow the rules established by the shooting for the rest of the game. Yeah, and for me, that's like a bad boss encounter. Yeah. Like, bad bosses usually are like, don't apply the skills you've learned from the rest of the game. Because so much of the cool stuff about this game is, like, selectively shooting things to gain advantages over your foes, like doing the kneecaps, doing the headshots. Right. It's like the accuracy is necessary, but it's in order to, like, provide resistance and give yourself time. You can't really do that when all your bosses have to be these, like, hulking monstrosities that are immune to everything that you do. Right. Which is why everything feels puzzly, because they have to give you a solution to the problem that's not a gun, yeah. which is the mechanics of the game. And that's where, like, the the, the mechanical aspects of... Uh, why didn't I look this... Why didn't I just look this guy's name up? Uh, the, the guy who's the first... Basically, like, the first big boss. Yeah, you oh, get the yeah. From. He, uh, like, his boss fight mechanically is incredibly shallow because you literally just shoot him with a gun. Yeah. And he just takes some damage. But he's so memorable in retrospect because, like... He's this huge giant guy, and then he erupts into a spider monster, and then he like his torso falls off, and he swings around in the rafters, and then you pull his fucking eyeball out of his head. He's got a lot of setup too. Yeah, he's set up to being like the tank guy. Like mm -hmm. you do a kick to him and just like break your leg on his like <laughs> massive manly pants. Yeah, I actually <laughs> thought he would be a more important character like with how much setup they gave him. Yeah. Well, he is the village's Salazar. Right. But because the village has to also set up the plot of the main game, right. you're introduced to all of the other characters and so 
Except for Salazar. Except for Salazar. Just drops out of nowhere and is like, by the way, I'm a crazy tiny guy. Yeah. But that's that. A lot of the notes that I have, which I actually am interested in bringing up to you guys, are just kind of general miscellany. So I don't know if you want to get into Uh, it right now. The only other thing... I wanted to talk about, we kind of briefly touched on it, was just Ashley in general. Yeah, she's she's pretty. No, she's pretty. <laughs> pretty. Because, um, well, I, mean, actually, I had a weird... That was a pretty negative response, but uh, yeah, let me hear I had out. a weird reaction to it, because like when she showed up, I kind of expected it to be like a short part of the game. I was like, oh, here's the escort mission. I'll do this escort mission, and it'll be over, she'll be gone. Mm-hmm. Nope. The whole rest of the game, Ashley's there. That's the thing, though. It's totally not that. Well, there's some spots where she's not there. It is, I want to say 75% of the game, you're not escorting Ashley. I actually would agree with him on that. They they, they create lots of excuses, not just narratively, but mechanically for Ashley to not be a problem. Like, what you're doing is never escorting. What you're doing is always, go hide in that while I play through the level and then come back and get you. True, I guess... I don't really do that, but that is valid strategy. I guess I just hate the concept so much that it felt worse than it was. Which is not, like, fair to the game. <laughs> the, the way that I see it, and it it's actually applies to a lot of things in it, this game, do you think? Is just the idea that, like, there are a lot of things that I am less forgiving of now than I was when this game came out. Right. And I still feel to this day that this game is the best example of some of these things that aren't generally great. So, escort mission wise, I am never that bothered by Ashley. I don't think like i i've lost hundreds of times at this point i'm sure because ashley died or got kidnapped but it never feels that bad when it happens uh and she's gone for so much of the game that and it doesn't matter as much and the quick time events are another thing where like now i get really irritated by their existence yeah because i feel like it's kind of a lazy excuse for something else but the way that this game uses them at the very least just makes, like, things more tense than in other games would not be. So, cutscenes, weird, like, the laser hallway. Yeah. Like, shit like that could have been a dumb other thing or just a plain cutscene, but because they want to keep you on your toes, occasionally be like, throw a knife. I'll give you what you said about Ashley. I think, like, my main thing is that, like, I so expected her to be gone. Right. <laughs> and that since she stayed, like, that made me, like, real sour yeah. about it. So, I think like, I just had you play on one of the save files I have where she has the suit of armor. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, it's just, like, it was funny. It was expectation mm-hmm. is what hurt that for me. Um, they try with her to... Yeah, because, like, in thinking back on it, it wasn't that bad. I know. It's not just... They kind of attempt to have the cake and eat it too moment where they want to have Ashley as a character which means that they can't have Ashley only appear at the very 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 end of the game so they have you get her by like the first of by the end of like act one and 
then she's just in and out arbitrarily narratively after that point and mechanically you can sort of just leave her behind and then come grab her whenever you want because of the way the call system works but even narratively they try and make her seem less annoying early something that stood out to me was like right after you get her she starts like shouting contextual commands and things for you to do to help in mm -hmm. a way that would seem more natural than like some, for your example, Andy, like the help bar that appears in Kingdom Hearts 2. Like, she'll, <laughs> <laughs> she'll be like, uh, shoot that cart, and it's like a cart full of explosives that'll roll down the hill and kill a bunch of people. Right. And there are, it's very rare, but they do a couple of things like that with her to try and make her seem less like just an NPC box of chocolates you have to escort around. Yeah, she's a backpack. Is yeah. all she is. It, it, like, when, if she didn't have those moments. Yeah, but like, because the cat, like the enemies, have more mechanical utility than she does if she doesn't do something. Yeah, because like fuck, enemies will point at you, mm. and it draws the attention of the other enemies in the area, and they made pointing a mechanic, so they had to at least have actually do something in that vein, like call your attention to something. Yeah. Uh, and also, like she does have a health bar and can just die from taking damage, mm -hmm. but it was smart to have it be, like, you, usually the fail state is someone picks her up and carries her away. Right. So she doesn't just get killed all the time or killed immediately. Like, if an enemy gets her, you have time to then shoot the enemy and, like, and not have it be, like, immediately, like, an annoyance. They're like, oh, Ashley's taking damage. Yeah. Fuck. There's another way for them to accent the sort of pinpoint shooting mechanics, too, because it gives you the option to attempt to shoot them in the leg so that she goes free. Yeah. Which is nice. Well, you can't shoot them anyway. You just want to not shoot Ashley herself. Right. But yeah. that's still a test of that. Yeah. yeah. I remember there was a... Uh, on one playthrough I did many years ago, many moons ago, <laughs> uh... When I had the infinite launcher, I just instinctively like whipped around and shot at whoever picked up Ashley, and it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like just nuked her, and I was like, "Oops, my bad." Does she have like dead, gory death animations like Leon sometimes does? No. Okay. And all of Leon's are even contextual because like if you get hit with a rocket launcher, which is rare because only like four enemies in the game get them, yeah, uh, you will just like fall dead. Okay. But you get the fucking awesome death scenes where like you get your head chopped off. <laughs> but for some reason they just were like, no, nah, that's enough. Everybody else, he'll just be like, <laughs> Oh man, I'm glad you mentioned Chainsaw because even though this is sort of shoehorning it in the second half here, I, I don't want it to go without mention how ballsy it was for them to throw a chainsaw guy in in the first, like, 40 minutes of the game. Oh, yeah. He's in the, in the village. Solid choice on their part. Giving him, like, the long cutscene introduction and then making it clear to you through the craziness of the first village that, like, these people can just kill you instantly. Yeah. Well, I think they wanted to... It, I feel like this is a... a compromise, I guess. Um, because in prior Resident Evil games... If you died, you went back to your last save. Yeah. Resident Evil 4 introduces checkpoints, so you no longer have that tension of, like, if I die now, like, I've, I lost 20 minutes or whatever. It's like I lost four minutes. Not yeah. a big deal. And so they wanted to make the enemies a much more active threat, and so there are several enemies that can just kill you in one hit. And I feel like it never gets frustrating because the way the combat in the game works... Once you know that something's going to kill you in one hit, you just prioritize them. 
and it becomes less of an issue. Uh, so I kind of see it as a compromise there, but I, I don't know. I love those dudes. And in my most asinine fun fact that I can provide, uh, that enemy's name is Dr. Salvador. <laughs> so evidently, that cha- that bag-wearing chainsaw <laughs> guy has a degree. <laughs> well, that's his, it's like the face mask there. They're, they're in Spain. His degree? So, no, no, no. He's <laughs> wearing it on his face. His degree is a burlap sack. <laughs> Yeah. What were you actually saying? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't even <laughs> care. <laughs> All right. We're getting into random minuscule stuff. I think the existence of Rambo Guy is the existence of everything this game does, quote unquote, wrong. Rambo Guy? The, like, huge beret wearing dude with oh, the chain gun. Oh, okay, Rambo Guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know what his, his character yeah, is. Yeah, that, that was kind of stupid. Yeah. All of his all of his scenes haven't aged well because they're very Oh, you're talking about Krauser, not the enemy like the the big enemy type. Yeah, I'm talking about Krauser. Kra- okay, Jack Krauser. Yeah. That's an actual dude. He's he's very I don't know if it still counts as B movie in his case, because I don't know how sort of prevalent like the military guy is in the genre. But he's very sort of like lore heavy he talks in vague terms about other things that happened in the series that you have no context with if you're Almost playing for slip yeah <laughs> yeah by itself he his motivations are nothing and don't really yeah, mean anything he's really only there for like fans of the series yeah. well, his motivations... he's like reference 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 <laughs> reference reference that's his dialogue his motivation within the game is at least stated he captures a hey, he teams up with Sadler in order to get the Plaga sample from Sadler, who then gives him a Plaga like, implanted in his body that matures and gives him powers, yeah. but allows Sadler to mind control him. But in exchange for the original partnership, he goes to capture Ashley from America and bring her there. Right. So his motivations are stupid and like arbitrary, but they are at least in the game. But like Ada's... Not explained in any way, other than she's there for uh, Wesker. But you can... What I mean by motivations isn't just, like, strict descriptions of, like, the actions and consequences that they're going for. Like, Ada's motivations are clear insofar as it's signaled to you that they have a history. It's believable that they have a history by the way that they interact, and it's you can compare it to, like, older tropes about how those things go. Mm-hmm. Um in Krauser's case, like, there's just a dialogue sequence where he talks about needing to bring order to the world. And that's, like, the period at the end of that sentence. Yeah. The, yeah, you really expect a conservative just, mind to yeah, bring order it, to this crazy world? Yeah, right. like, her dialogue feels, like, more natural and organic. And, like, him, it just feels like he's kind of dropped in there and it's, like, expository dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't... And again, the lows of this game are not very low. I I am very much in tune with, as my earlier statement said, and with a lot of people who talk about this game in retrospect, that this game is like a pinnacle of a certain type of design philosophy. Right. I actually kind of just, like, as much as I will defend this game, as much as I do love this game, we're being quite critical of it, and I actually appreciate that because 
I don't think that the game is perfect. I just really like it. And I actually have to say, I disagree that the lows aren't very low. I think that it has enormous valleys, like of things that are really bad, but are forgivable either in context or because it's not a big part of the game. What would you give as an example? The Krauser. Krauser is terrible. Yeah, at least generally speaking. Like, you could have completely left him out of the game, and the only thing that would be missing was a boss fight. Yeah, and then the one... First time a video game has ever made me cry. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Because you dropped the controller on you? Yeah, not because of emotions. Because of... uh, This game came out when I was, like, 14, and pretty young, and I attempted to do the Krauser quick time event fight, like, oh. with the, the knife fight. I failed that when I first played this game. Like, it took me, like, two days. Like, I, I tried it for, like, an hour, quit out of frustration, and then, like, another hour a different day. Jesus. I don't know why I was so bad at it, because, like, I did it a million consecutive times and didn't have much issue. Yeah. <laughs> Back when quick time events were new, our skills were not honed. Yeah. Since we I've played circled... Heavy Rain now, yeah. so we're good. <laughs> Since we circled back around to quick time events, I know um, when I was playing it here at Chad's, uh, he commented on the fact that he thought this was an example of a game that did quick time events well, or at least better than other games. Right. And while I'll agree, they feel better here than in other games i think this game has like definitively like proven to me personally that quick time events are just terrible like pretty bad i i get why they existed especially in the time that this game came out and they were trying to like make cutscenes feel interactive or like accentuate like an action that was going on on screen by like making you mash the button and feel like you're doing something but like I don't think they add anything to the to a game. Like I've never played a game where they felt like they added anything at all and they were just annoying. Especially in this game. Effect like just sticking them in cutscenes where like a lot of people will like put the controller down or like just be like spaced out and like have their fingers off the buttons or you know and, and, and then it's just like ah <laughs> like because they don't happen every cutscene, or there's no signal that it's gonna happen, like you just, you're gonna fail them. Right. Well, I think that that's the intent is to that's punish people. So dumb to, for putting their, for like taking their attention away from their masterpiece. That's yeah. like we're gonna kill you for that. That's so. That's such a bad idea. And like, I'll forgive it in this game since it came out in 2005. Right. But like, I think quick time events have lasted too long. Mm-hmm. They kind of aren't. People don't do them really anymore. I think quick time events are only dumb in light of other video game conventions. Like, you, I get the as the intent in this game is to try and have cutscenes that attack you and to take advantage of people's expectations of what a cutscene means so that you feel scared all the time. But in this game, like in most video games, the cutscenes are too long, they are too frequent, and it's... Uh, I just think there's a hypothetical game that could exist where 
maybe this game wouldn't even contain cutscenes hypothetically, but just instead have quiet walking moments more similar to the sort of in-game QTEs that happen when you're playing RE4, mm -hmm. where I feel like they can still be valuable as a way to maintain tension in a circumstance in which you're realistically going to be like paying attention like, to the screen all the time already. Like a David like, Cage game, like Heavy Rain or, or right. Indigo Prophecy. If you made, if Resident Evil 4, instead of traditional cutscenes, had like more modern, in-engine, you still maintain control of your character kind of cutscenes, where you would still be controlling it, yeah. if they threw them in then, it wouldn't feel quite as... Cheap or whatever. I mean, you at the call worst, it. though, you're losing a couple of seconds. Yeah, but, but like, it's still annoying. I know. It's annoying. It's weird. It almost feels like they put them in, like you said, to punish the player right. for like putting the controller down when it's completely reasonable that they would do that. <laughs> you know, it just it feels like they put it in to annoy you. Almost. I, I mean, like I don't think they did. But. I also feel like if most cutscenes were better. People would be more incentivized to <laughs> like, like keep the control in their hand. Yeah, and they'd, they'd they'd already have like you wouldn't need to give them a, a reason outside of the scene for them to be tense and paying attention and like ready to act. Right. Yeah. The we've talked before about games that have that, that like use their plot and cutscenes as a reward for like making it through a section of game. Yeah. So like. You, congratulations, you beat the level, here's the cutscene. It's a thing that has kind of always been in games. That is not the case in Resident Evil 4. The cutscenes are just another part of the game they put into so they could tell their story. And some of them are not, like, the worst thing in the world. But you're not really gaining that much with them. Yeah, you're not there for the cutscenes. Yeah. Your reward for doing well in this game is, like, new, cooler guns <laughs> to shoot guys with. And that's really it. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a good choice in a horror game in as much as when, like, when it wants to be a horror game and actually try and frighten you to put the emphasis on the actual gameplay and the action and reward you in that way because it's really difficult to pace a horror game, especially in regards to difficulty, where you want the player to keep pressing on Despite the fact that a horror game also emotionally makes you want to stop playing it. Yeah. And, yeah, the cutscenes are there just to be cutscenes and tell the story. one of the best examples, actually, of use in this of cutscenes in this game are the tiny interspersals that they do not do very often because cutscenes are expensive. But uh, that the cutscene that triggers upon you walking into the house in the first village that's used to signal the existence of Chainsaw Guy and show that there are a billion people that you can't do anything about. Like they show right. Leon getting panicky in order for you to presumably get panicky with him. Um, I wish that there was more things like that. Something that lasts like 30 seconds, is designed explicitly to be cinematic and to convey a tone, and then just let us get back to the full mechanics of the game, instead of attempting to have the cinematics go on longer than we necessarily want them to, but also try and eat their cake by including random little elements. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just like a product of the time. Yeah. I mean, games were a lot more cutscene heavy in, like, this generation. Right. Partly because they could now. Like, that was, like, a new thing. Yeah. Like, having, like, high-quality cutscenes. Yeah, we aren't really impressed by the cinematics anymore. Just yeah. in general. Just full-stop cinematics. Yeah, like, in, like, 
old like Square Enix games, like you were like in awe of the cutscenes. Yeah, yeah. We did. We discussed this when we talked about um, Kingdom Hearts and like yeah. how like that opening scene, despite how tonally weird it was that it was set to like a like a weird J-pop song, yeah, still looks gorgeous. And like you're like, this is mind blowing in 2002, but then this game just like and it's been has been rebooted in HD and ported and fucking passed around for years and years and years and the cutscenes don't really look any better. But I, I'm not even talking about graphical fidelity in the same way that like Square Enix cutscenes have graphical fidelity. I'm talking when I said cinematics, I was trying to convey the sense of like being in a movie. That's something that people, if you go back to the reviews at the time, constantly mention as like something the game does exceptionally well and was one of the things that like supposedly the big benefits of the over the shoulder camera was. And it's literally what I brought up when we started the it's like this is like a B horror movie. Yeah. Because it's imitating that Yeah, what we got the ability to do wasn't just to make gorgeous CG renders. What we got the ability to do was to have like a pseudo-interactive thing that looked like you were watching a crazy action film or crazy horror movie. Right, where people actually would knife fight on a catwalk. Yeah. Yeah. Like people talked about that scene a lot, and not just because a lot of people thought it was hard. They thought it was interesting. I was under the impression that only children thought it was hard and that I I was being a baby. This is another just example like we had with Sly Cooper, which is like standards were different than like when the game came out. Yeah, Sly Cooper, this is actually a great comparison because Sly Cooper (laughs) is a game that I thought was outdated and we had, and not particularly important. Like it was something that I didn't, I thought was both old and had no reason to look back on. I think this is an example of a game that is outdated and extremely important to look back on. I think it has good lessons and is something I would include in, like, the chronology of game history. At the very least, it's something that Capcom should look back on every once in a while, and not just to remake it and put it on a new platform, because they've just been, like, pooping themselves since this game came out in terms of the Resident Evil franchise. It's just been, like, kind of bland sequel after another on 100 It looks like they're trying to get their shit together now. We, yeah. so. we already discussed the hard left turn they're taking there. They're not even going to try and imitate the success of this anymore. Yeah. Which is a good, probably the best thing they could do now. Yeah. yeah. They've yeah they've pushed what this game did. And honestly, it would be weird. It, it's, it's kind of an unusual thing to think about it, like, retrospectively like this. But, like, if Resident Evil 6 is what they wanted Resident Evil 4 to be, but could not do it technically... That would be amazing. Like, as to me, just as an incident in history. Where it was like, they accidentally made my favorite game by fucking up making a terrible game. Like, uh, like what a strange thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I just have, like, a few things that haven't been touched on. Shoot! In fact, now that I'm thinking... Okay. So I have, like, two things I do when I... And one of them is about guns, so we'll start with that one. Um, (laughs) So, one thing that I have have a note on is that I really like guns... Period. Uh, (laughs) I really like guns in this game. Uh, And, like, it's gotten better with the HD remakes and stuff, and, like, the sound on the guns has gotten a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But largely, it's always kind of felt pretty good. Um... Except the rifle. 
Did either of you use a rifle? I used the auto rifle briefly. Yeah, I didn't really use the rifles. Uh, rarely? I wonder if the reason you use it rarely is because of how terrible it feels to use a rifle in this game. Because when you, like, scope with a rifle and fire, it literally just sort of, like, happens. Like, there's no animation of a bullet. There's no kickback. You just shoot and, like, you put your cursor over a guy's head and then it explodes at distance like you exploded it with radio waves or like you were a character <laughs> in Scanners. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I'd, I'd never pinpointed the exact problem and it's totally the lack of kickback. Yeah, it's so strange. But every other gun feels so good in comparison. Yeah, it's like what we talked about in Bioshock. Like, if you get the weapon feel even a little bit wrong, it just... Just feels weird. Yeah, it is because like what makes the the guns, the what makes the shooting in this game feel important, I guess, is because you're always so aware of your ammo count because scarcity is such a part of how this game and how all survival horror games, past, present, and future, operate. You're you're just like I know that I have twelve handgun bullets, and so every pull of the trigger is like something that is calculated. You have to think about every shot. And it's just like, when you have that one gun that just, like, you don't even... Like, you feel like when you miss, it's somehow not even your fault because it doesn't feel like you even shot a thing. Yeah. You're just like, this is bullshit. <laughs> but that was the note that I took about the rifle. Yeah, you're have, right. like, gun generally thoughts. Even though it was generally, like, a strong weapon, I only ended up using it either due to ammo scarcity or in the places that they clearly set up the design of the level in order for you to use the rifle. Yeah. And they seem to compensate the existence of that weapon being so powerful by just dropping enemies on your head occasionally. Well, I think actually most of the design of the game... Like, you need to, for the rifle strategy to not be a thing that you can use, like, 85% of the time in order for the game to be fun. Right. That's why it's part of the reason that I thought the house levels are so incredibly good mm -hmm. is because, uh, for there's many other reasons, but you, d you can't... Anyone who's in the house is on your ass. Yeah. You don't, you don't have the ability to pick anyone off at range. Anyone that you can see is a threat to you. And, but, but you still have some time, generally, based on what you do, and there's lots of interactable stuff. I don't know, I just love the death out of the house sequences. Yeah. <laughs> the house sequence is a great example of why the game... The game really wants you to get good with handguns. Yeah. Because that is, I think, just the weapon that this game plays most fun while using. Yeah. And they know that, and so they make sure that you use it as much as possible. It's the gun that makes no sense the laser sight. It's the gun that makes no s the most sense. It's the thing that wouldn't automatically obliterate anything in front of you. Yep. Yeah. It's like anything... Like, I've played through this game with, like, a hundred different setups, and I've never once sold off all my handguns. Yeah. I have at least one at any time. But, uh, can't believe I didn't bring this up earlier. You've played the game on the Wii. Yeah. And you just played it on the GameCube for the first time. Yeah. So as the only person here who's played it on both motion controls and not motion controls, give me, like, a compare and contrast. Like, I... And this is, I guess, sort of a feature of how much more often I'm playing shooters on the PC compared to consoles these days. Yes. I have gotten to the point where, personally... I just like even bad motion controls better than a stick. 
And so I don't feel like I'm going to be representative of like the general audience here in terms of that preference. But when I went through Resident Evil uh, 4 on the Wii years and years ago, right after it came out, um, I do remember the shooting being easier than this game. Uh, and that is probably detrimental to the design early game overall because they're sort of banking on you not having the ability to just kneecap everyone at will. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of what you get when you're experienced with motion controls. Your Wii Resident Evil 4 playthrough just seems like the meanest thing ever. <laughs> like you just like point like, fuck you, fuck you, everyone's laying on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I had a very aggressive anti-knee stance on my Wii playthrough. Yeah, I, I kind of, like, I almost regret, but not really regret, because I hate motion controls, playing, not playing the Wii version, uh... Because, like, I, I feel like I do want to know how it plays. Yeah. Be, but it, it just seems to me like it would be so much easier and not, therefore less fun. Like, it would be easier to us. I feel like if you handed the game to someone who'd never played a Wii before, it might actually be better because they are physically panicking with an object in the way that they kind of want you to be physically panning, panicking with the gun. Like, the the setup is designed such that it's possible to have precise precision aiming on things, but you, it, it takes time and it's kind of hard and you get into sort of panic states like you do in all Resident Evil games. Mm -hmm. So, but, like, to people like us who all played Splatoon... Like, it would be meaningless for us. To, that, that Having to physically aim with our hands would be the easiest thing in the world. Well, I'm trying to think... It's a pointer, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's not like... It's not the gyroscope, like, Splatoon. That may have been the, the, not It's like the aiming examples. the bow in Twilight Princess. Yeah. So it would actually be just active garbage at that. Not in Skyward Sword. <laughs> in Twilight well, right. Princess. This the bow in Skyward Sword uses a gyroscope, mm. and it's like poorly calibrated. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I still suspect that I might be bad at it, but I can also see potential like horrible hardware issues occurring because I've definitely been playing a game on the Wii. I really have played Wii games before. <laughs> I promise. Uh, and like been aiming at something, and then the cursor just like blink off the screen for no reason. Yeah. Because it was just like, I moved my wrist at a weird angle, and therefore the the sensor bar is no longer picking it up. It's been so many years that if those issues were present, they have left my mind. And all I is remember is like, kneecaps. Also, kneecaps, like, Chad's, like, interactions with motion controls are, like, really funny to me. <laughs> that, like, I've, like, blown them out of proportion in my mind. <laughs> yeah. To the point where, like, I want to blame Chad's, like, inability to, like learn how they work. You know, in your <laughs> mind, and also in reality, actually, <laughs> like, me trying to use a Wii remote is like an 85-year-old geriatric patient trying to operate the Large Hadron Collider. <laughs> like, it's just so far beyond my realm of understanding for no discernible reason. No, just, no discernible oh, reason. The metaphor falls apart there. don't know anything about the Large Hadron Collider. <laughs> you have high fucking standards. Like for old people, <laughs> like an old person interacting with a cell phone. Yeah, that's like an old person bad. interacting with a Nintendo Wii. I needed a metaphor that properly explained like just how wide the gulf of understanding yes. is. Yeah, but not one that is realistic in any way. I want to reiterate. I do think that that could hypothetically be valuable. Like if. 
having you start in a position where there's a huge golf uneven in your ability to aim a handgun right. kind of fits with the tone of what's going on. So, like, it would be the ideal version for, like, a casual game player to play? I, maybe. It seems to track with it being released on the Wii at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, would, I, I think it might be better for casual players than the twin stick setup. But I'm talking casual hard. Like not Casual not, hard. <laughs> <laughs> like the like the farthest the most extreme of like casual people who would still be willing to even try a game like this. I, I'm saying it would be better to have the motion control set up than someone who is just unfamiliar with like twin stick shooters. This is sort of barely a twin stick shooter, but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It can be a single stick shooter depending on how you play it. Yeah. Any, like, final thoughts? Love the shit out of this game. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it more than I expected to. Fair. You did it express did... concern that you were going to be like, I hate this, it's well, shit. Yeah, it just, I, my big takeaway is that it surprised me. Like, it threw me a couple curveballs, and I ended up liking it more than I would have expected. I wonder how long it'll take for this game to truly be dated. Like... I said earlier, and what I reiterate now, that I think it's dated, dated relative to current like design trends and the way that we're starting to move, not in the sense that we're already past the game. Right. Like, it's just, it's in the rearview mirror, so to speak, but it's definitely still within our line of vision. Yeah, the game still functions given kind of an unusual design, what we would perceive as unusual design choices yeah. now. I mean, you yeah. can even still feel its influence. Like, I was when I was playing it, I was thinking, like, Okay, I can see how this influenced something like Uncharted. Mm. Yeah. You know, and things like that. Yeah. It also has like a certain aesthetic yeah. uh, influences, but that kind of bleeds in from older Resident Evil games and how those have influenced. So Also, it's just a part of, of video game culture at this point. Yeah. White heroes are never going to go out of style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not even when they're wearing clothes from the 1920s and escorting women in suits of armor around. <laughs> Oh, wait, actually, before I end the podcast, (laughs) uh, I did want to mention that I played through the iOS version of this game. Oh, goddammit. I thought we were going to escape without iOS coming up. (laughs) It's super bad. Don't ever play it. It's probably my least favorite mobile game I've ever played that I still consider, like, at least partially well-made. Like, it's not like a complete throwaway trash game. But it's also, like, barely functional in the way that, like, Monument Valley is a great example of how you can design for a phone. Resident Evil 4 is a great example of how you can kind of walk sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I've got to get into, like, the news hour here. Uh, What does playing RE4 on a phone entail? How do you do things? Okay, it actually is probably one of the best implementations of the virtual controller that I've seen. Yeah. But your left hand, you hold on like a, a, a joystick that is superimposed on the bottom left corner of your phone. Okay. And you drag it, and depending on how far away from the point you drag it is how fast you move. Right. Well, walk or run, it's binary. Yeah. Um, and then the right side has like a pickup item and, like, enter combat mode button. And when you hit the combat button, uh, you pull out your gun. You have to hold it, and then, you don't know, you just press it, you pull out your gun. Yeah. And then you use the left stick to aim, then. 
and then there's a shoot button. But the fact that the shoot button exists is weird because it's in a different position than the the gun pull out button, which then reverts to like a now walk button. Yeah. So you then basically you walk near a zombie, you press the button, and then you press you move your finger and press the shoot button a couple of times until they die. And then you press the move button again, and then you walk around. <laughs> so this really is just like a straight port over the game? No, it's all arenas. Like, the Aww. first level is like you're in the village, and it's a pretty faithful representation of the village from the game, but you don't walk there, and you don't walk away from it. You just show up, there zombies, you shoot them, and then oh, it's over. God. And it plays a cutscene that's... Not just badly written like the actual game, but also weirdly full of typos. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> awesome. And to think this is the experience owners of the Zebo got in yeah. Brazil. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about Actually, that. Actually, it only released on the Zebo in Japan. What? The Zebo's in Japan now? Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> the Zebo's <now>. everywhere. <laughs> it's so popular. It's spreading. Yeah. Those poor Zebo users. The Zebos, they fly. <laughs> the Zebonies. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for listening to No Club this week. Because we're not talking about a Zebo ever again. <laughs> what are we talking about next time? We get a weird one next time that I'm quite excited for. Uh, we're going to be talking about the console Pokemon game, Pokemon Snap. <laughs> the classic. I don't even think it's a cult I, classic it, at this that, point. I think just people love this game. That was a joke. Oh. Because it's a Pokemon game. Oh, like a like a cult of Pokemon? No, like a cult of photographers. Yes. I'm so lost. <laughs> <laughs> Am I stupid? Or does this not make sense? No, you'll remain lost until next time. Next time when we talk we'll be about, about Pokemon po- Snap. Pokemon Snap. The cult game. That one. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us until then, or after then, you can email us at noclippodcast at gmail.com, on our website, noclippodcast.com, uh, Twitter at noclippodcast, on YouTube, noclip, and you can find us on iTunes if you're not already listening to us there, and throw us like a, a review, a rating, five big ones. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, share it, tell your friends about it. <laughs> Five big ones. Oh. Love you all, see you later. Oh, yeah. You get nothing from me. <clears throat> Let's go. <laughs> Was that your restrained? Let's go? It's like, Mario, do you want to go to Permanent Brothers? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I don't think... Oh, wait, no, Mari would be very excited about Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah there was actually yeah. too hesitant for it. He would be like, that's a goal! <laughs> Super for Manny Brothers. <laughs> Super for Manny Brothers. <laughs>